coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on July 2nd, 2023. My heart, Christ's home. We come now to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. And as this chapter uh, is not quite over, but this seg segment is that also Paul wraps up this section dealing with what we're to put off, what we're to put on, and how we're to live. He comes with this uh, concluding statement in verses 16 and 17. Let's read those together. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. <clears throat> so we're going to talk today about Jesus Christ being at home in your life. So, have you ever uh, been away from home? We talked about that not too long ago. It's always nice to come home, right? Have your own bed, your own things that you're familiar with. All those kinds are, are good. But what's it like when, like us this week, uh, Tom came to visit. He's staying with us, the house guest. And uh, so someone else comes in and uh, they're sort of disruptive. Not that Tom has been disrupted. But your normal routines are broken up a little bit. And there's adjustments that need to be made as you now have another person that is part of, of your, your home life on a day-to-day -day basis. It's kind of different. And someone like Tom coming in who's never been to our house before, he doesn't know where anything is. And so, you know, we have to... He goes, I want some ketchup. You got any ketchup? Yeah, ketchup's right here. And you open the cabinet, you know. Where are your silverware? Well, it's right here, you know. All those kind of things for someone who comes in who's a guest. Now, our family, when they come over, they just take over. You know, they know where all the stuff is. They... And they feel free to use it and just come and go and there's no knock at the door. They just come in, unless we lock them out. But they just come in and, and they make themselves at home. In fact, a lot of times they'll open the garage door with the garage door opener they have and come in the back door. We, and they'll yell from the, from the kitchen, hey, we're here. Oh, news to us. So what is it like if someone is a part of our home as opposed to a guest in our home? It's quite a bit difference, isn't it? Well, we come to what Paul is talking about this morning 
as we look into Colossians chapter 3. And he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ be at home in your life. So I, I pose the question, as a believer, is Christ at home in your life? Or is he like an invited guest that has limited access and is unfamiliar with the place because he only comes on occasion, doesn't really know, doesn't feel welcomed as, as an integral part of your life. And so the question is, is Christ at home in your life? When Apostle Paul talks to the church at Colossae, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I couldn't help but stumble on the word, word of Christ. He doesn't say, let the Bible be, you know, something that you're familiar with in your house. He says, let the word of Christ and the word that is used there should be a familiar one to us. It is also used in John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son of God, a son of the father, full of grace and truth. And so we know that when he talks about the word of Christ, it's not just talking about what Jesus Christ spoke. What he's talking about here is all that represents who Christ is. Is, is he at home in your life? And the command here is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To dwell richly. To be at home in you with all avenues open to, to him in your life. Can, does the Lord feel free to move around in your, in your heart and your life? Does he feel free to address all your thoughts. Can he address only some of your thoughts? You know, the religious ones up in here. Or can he address how you deal with money and how you deal with people? And, and, and Apostle Paul, as he's talking to the church here, he says, let the word of God dwell richly in you. Now I realize not everybody's here every Sunday. But we spent the first couple chapters in Colossae dealing uh, with Colossians in the church of Colossae, dealing with an issue that they were struggling with, and that was, does Jesus Christ have the first place? Is, or is he relegated to something less? And now he says, not only does Christ have first place in our life, the preeminence, as he describes in chapter 1, but he says, now I want him to dwell in your life. 
when you make decisions, is he a part of that decision-making process? When you look at, as you said, as I said, the finances, does he have any say in, in that? Where you spend your time and where you go, who you associate with, is the Lord part of that or not? And Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and that means lavishly across the board in every area, Christ ought to speak to that. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and to 6, he says that when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own grace, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ. Christ our Savior. So as a believer, is Christ at home in our lives? The question that I think all of us need to ask, and the one that Apostle Paul says should be true about us, that Jesus Christ is at home in our life. Now we look at this passage, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. One of the things that's going to happen is, is we are going then to have an expression of this life that's filled with Christ. And that is that we will be teaching and, and admonishing one another in all wisdom. But I want to draw your attention, first of all, to something that you could probably see in the box there in your notes, that there is a corollary passage in the book of, of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says... And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in the, to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as a, a question then I have for you, if the results of being filled with the Spirit is the same as having the Word of God dwell in, rich, in you richly, do you recognize the strategic relationship between the work of the Holy Spirit, the filling work of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God dwelling in you richly? I think it's a beautiful Statement because Paul wrote both of them. He could have said in both places, let the, God, the word of God, word of Christ dwell in you richly. Or he could have said, uh, be filled with the spirit in both places. But he chose one to say, here he's talking about being filled. Over here he says, letting the word of God dwell in you richly. But the outcomes are the same. 
And so we go, if the outcomes are the same, there's got to be a corollary or a correlation between being filled and having the word of God dwell in you richly. And of course, it does. We know that the Holy Spirit is active uh, in promoting the word, right? And I see it as a complementary thing. If we, if we just go with the word of God, we have sometimes have a tendency to just say, this is the letter of the law, this is how things are done. If we go just with the Spirit, sometimes we can get uh, astray that way by just saying, well, I'm led by the Spirit, doesn't matter what happens, yeah, I just go with, the, go with the flow, go with the Spirit. But we see in these two passages that both of them are, are indicated that we have the Holy Spirit being filling a believer and working through the word to give wisdom and direction. He says that when the word of God dwells in us riches, richly, it's not to be kept to ourselves. We're going to be involved in teaching and admonishing and all wisdom. So what are these, what are these words? The idea of teaching we're, we're fairly familiar with. It is a word that is used a lot in scripture. That just basically means sharing the truth with someone else, teaching. Admonishing has the idea of warning. Warning. There's some other words that could be used sometimes in place of admonishing. It could be uh, to rebuke or reprimand or reproach. But really, the major emphasis of admonishing isn't nearly as strident that, as that. It has the idea of an earnest, friendly warning and counsel. And so, when we're filled with the Spirit, when we have the Word of God dwelling in us richly, Apostle Paul says one of the things that's going to happen is we are going to share that with others. We are going to impart to them things that we have learned, we'll be teaching, and we'll be admonishing, saying there's things that you ought not to do, or you ought to be careful about that because that could get you into trouble. And so we have both aspects of teaching, both the positive and the warning so that we're able to help someone go. And then it says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. This isn't a responsibility of just the pastor. This is every believer who has the word dwelling in them richly. To every believer who has the Holy Spirit filling them. We are all given the responsibility of teaching and admonishing and then it says, with all wisdom. And I'd like for you to look at James chapter 3 for a moment, because it gives us a pretty good handle on what this wisdom is, as he sort of lays it out here in, in James chapter 3. James 3 he says, 
in verse 17, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Wow. The description then of wisdom is not anything harsh or strident or any of those things. It is rather just the opposite. It is the idea of, I have these truths to share, and even in my warnings, it is out of love and compassion. It is done as something that is pure and peaceable and gentle and open to, to reason and full of mercy and good fruits. And you go, Pastor Tim, didn't you just say that? You read that scripture to us. I go, yes, but did you get it? See, did you get it? Do you hear what kind of thing that James is saying here? What kind of people are we to be towards one another? Because the whole context here, as he says in, in Colossians, he says, let the word of, God, of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How are we supposed to treat one another? We're, we're supposed to be helping a person to grow by teaching them. We're supposed to be involved in one another's life. Maybe saying, oh, warning there, don't go there. Not because I'm telling you, but because there's danger to be found there. And then, as we do it in wisdom, we're doing it in a peaceful, gentle, quiet, easy to be entreated manner. And we go, that's how we're supposed to be treating one another. Now, as we said in, in our box as well, we said the outcome of Christ, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly and being filled with the, the Spirit is the same. We will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Whether, we're, whether, uh, whether Christ's words dwell in us richly, we'll be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you go, what are psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? And the answer is, Let's skip past the psalms and the hymns and the songs and get to that key word, spiritual. These are all songs that are spiritual. In other, in other words, they're about our God and our relationship to him. Okay, the psalms actually is a is a term that is used elsewhere in the New Testament, except for here and in the passage in Ephesians, only to describe the Psalms, the Psalms in the Psalter or the book of Psalms for us. Those were the Psalms that they would have understood because that's how the New Testament continues to use that word. Uh, give you an example in Luke chapter 20 
It says in verses 42 and 43, David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And so this was uh, the Psalms that we understand are divinely inspired words set to music. Okay, these were inspired words. That's what the Psalms are. What about the hymns? The hymns then, still with a spiritual idea, are, are, are songs that then are sung to him and about him. When we talk about who him is, talking about the Lord or our God, these are songs that we sing about Lord or our God. We might sing a song like Holy, Holy, Holy and describe his character, his nature in song. Those would be hymns. Well, then what about spiritual songs? Spiritual songs are then sung about our life experience with Christ. And maybe not as much emphasis on his character, his nature, his attributes, but more about our relationship in our walk with him. So all these three categories then are, are sung and they're used, are you ready for this? To teach and admonish with all wisdom. Because that's how it's used. It says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, literally by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You go faster, that's, that's going to be a tough one for me. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. You know, if I carry a tune in a bucket, my, even my bucket has holes and stuff dribbles out. <laughs> so I can't do that. He says, no, but it, most people can sing a song in their head and then declare what, what is true about God. In fact, the Psalms, for the most part, we don't sing, do we? We have them written out. You say, turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. You go, that was written as a song. But we don't usually sing a tune to it. I mean, there are tunes put to the songs, but those are modern inventions because we have lost the original tunes. We said, but we certainly can identify the words have them speak to our heart, can't we? You know? And so, Apostle Paul says, uh, as a believer, are you invested in the, in the lives of fellow believers? Are you imparting to them what you know? Are you learning from them? Are you sharing these things? This was not a private enterprise. This is to be a corporate experience. He says, one another. I give to you, you give to me. And that should be true of all believers that we are sharing in one another's lives in this way. And then there's one more word that he throws in here too. With thankfulness in your heart to God. And the idea of thanksgiving is the idea of showing appreciation where we say, 
it is a recognition on my part of what somebody has done on my behalf. In this case, we give thanksgiving to God for what he has done in our hearts and our lives. The fact that Jesus Christ has come to indwell us in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, that his word of God gives us wisdom and instruction that we can share with others. All these things then should promote in us a thanksgiving. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks again, here again, thanksgiving to God the Father through him. So a final question for today is as a believer, does the song of my life reflect the indwelling Holy Spirit and the saturation of the word of God? Does it reflect that? Should. Should. Does the song of my life reflect the indwelling Holy Spirit and the saturation of the Word? <clears throat> we let the Word of God dwelling in us richly, and we have the Holy Spirit filling us. Then are other, do others see it? They should see it. It is part of our our experience of having been filled with the Spirit, being in the Word, having it dwell in us richly, and then people see it, how we respond. As we said, even in wisdom, the words that we use there to talk about there were peaceful and gentle and all those words. Do they see that in us? Should. That's what Apostle Paul says. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And as we said, that's a command. And guess what? It's in the present tense. In other words, we should let the word of God daily fill us. Daily dwell richly in us. To say, no, Sundays are okay, but I got Monday through Saturday for myself. No. No, this is a daily thing. And the command is given that way. That we be filled with the Spirit again and again and again. And we let the Word of God soak into our life again and again and again. The daily thing, that should, this should be an ongoing process in our hearts and lives. And it should bring us to the place where we share with others and we're thankful. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to the Lord's table this morning because much can be said about the Lord's Supper. We're to do it in remembrance. We're to do it with anticipation, thinking that the Lord will be coming again because he is, that's his promise. But I think for believers... One of the things that the Lord's Supper does is call to mind our lost condition and our need for the Savior and that how Jesus Christ stepped in to be that Savior for us. And when we eat in remembrance, we're remembering a couple things. I don't deserve salvation. 
Why? Because I'm a mean, nasty person? No, I'm just a lost person. And I needed a Savior. And that's okay, because you needed one too. So we're, we're in this together. And we say, if I needed a Savior and Christ stepped in and became that Savior and offered it as a gift by faith, because of his grace then what does that promote in me we already talked about that in our passage thankfulness thankfulness there's no one to come to the Lord's table and and say there isn't a reason to be thankful whether we are or not that's up to us but there's no good reason to come to the table and not be so we're going to give you a moment before we transition down to the table here to go before the Lord. And if you're a believer, this is a good time for Thanksgiving, remembering uh, the provision. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, because we have people who are watching by video, and says if you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is a good time to reflect on his gracious provision that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And that's the category we all fall in. We all need a Savior. And by faith, uh, on His grace, we can be saved. <clears throat> Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now shall be saved. So we can spend this time either talking to the Lord with thanksgiving or talking to the Lord and saying, Lord, please, I need what you have provided in the work, finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer silently, and then I will lead you to prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and his work here on earth, living a life of perfect obedience, then going to the cross to die, not for sins that he has committed, but for our sins, which we've committed. We know the wages of sin is death, and we would certainly have paid the price if you hadn't intervened and redeemed us. So we give thanks that you not only did that work, but you made known to each one of us our individual condition, our need of a Savior because of our acknowledged sin. And Heavenly Father, by grace, through faith, you redeemed us. We come before you now to share in these elements of remembrance with thankful hearts. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to share these elements,
just a reminder, we have broken unleavened bread, which represents Jesus Christ's body, but it just stays unleavened bread. Just reminds us, as Jesus Christ said, of his body that was broken to us, for us. Then we have the fruit of the vine, some grape juice that represents his blood. It just stays grape juice, but it speaks to us of his blood that was shed for us. The early church was accused by those who didn't know that they were savages and cannibals because they were eating on people. But that's not the case. These things are a reminder to us. As we go to share them, we'll have the men come and pass the elements out. And then as you would take and you would hold it, we'll give you a signal and eat together. But as we pass the elements out, realize it, that this is for all believers. This isn't just for members of our congregation. This is all those that know Jesus Christ as Savior for you to participate. That's why we call it the Lord's Supper. Not our Supper, the Lord's Supper. So, I'm going to ask the men to come forward, Mike and Mike, if you would come and we will go to prayer here and then share this first element. And so this Mike, if you lead us in prayer, please. Father God, we thank you and we praise you that we come to you as a family of believers and just awe and admiration of, of what you have done for us on the cross by your body being broken for us so that we may have life and salvation in you. We thank you, Father, for this great price that you paid. May our lives be out there for others to see you through us. And may we glorify you for those who need to see you so desperately. Use us for your glory. And we thank you, Father, for everything you have done for us. We love you. Mm -hmm. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. The second element is the fruit of the vine, grape juice, uh, representing Jesus Christ's blood that was shed for us. We know that scripture says, 
that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. As we partake in, recommend, in, in remembrance of his sacrifice on us, that it cost him his life. Life is in the blood. So I'm going to ask our other Mike to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for once again on the first day of the month to allow us to give thanks to you and to do remembrance uh, of your dear son and what he did. Pray for the uh, this, <clears throat> this liquid that represents the blood of Christ that we that we love so much. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. for all. Throughout the Old Testament there was sacrifices pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament it was a covering for sin. It couldn't take away sin. But it was an expression by those who sacrificed that they believed that they needed deliverance from their sin and look forward to the Savior. Now we look back and we remember that Jesus Christ was the one who ultimately was able to sufficiently take care of the sin problem through the sacrifice of his own life. So we drink to that new relationship in his blood. <laughs> 